here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. Hey, welcome back again, you folks, to the Dharmic Evolution. Thanks for being here. A very warm and Merry Christmas to everybody tuning in today. I got something really special. This is a story of tragedy turning into triumph. We got to check this out. This has really had me so captivated when I first heard this story. And it actually turns into the celebration of a book called Murphy's Don't Quit. Five keys to unlocking hope when life seems hopeless. And we're going to give you those five keys in just a moment. But um, before we do, if you have not signed up yet for the Dharmic Evolution podcast, go over to dharmicevolution.com on the website. Check it out. See all the content we have there. See all the goodies we have for artists around the world who celebrate their stories on this website. Today, we're featuring Colleen Murphy, who is a wife, mother of seven, author, and public speaker. In 2013, tragedy struck Colleen's family when her second oldest daughter, Lauren, was hit by a car and suffered severe brain damage. Colleen's main focus became helping piece Lauren back together again. With the help of specialists from all over the country, her family, her friends, as well as her strong faith, Today, Colleen and Lauren speak together as a team, inspiring thousands of people by sharing the details of Lauren's tragic accident, never give up attitude, and miraculous recovery. Colleen lives just outside of St. Louis, Missouri with her husband, Dave. She spends her free time fielding countless phone calls from her children as they deal with the challenges of adulting and assisting her husband via FaceTime as he struggles to find things at the grocery store. You better strap up your seatbelts because we're taking a ride on the dark evolution today out to visit with colleen murphy colleen welcome to the dharmic evolution thanks for having me um what a story you have and i we have so much in common i am one of seven you're a mother of seven (laughs) and uh so i can kind of relate and i can kind of feel you (laughs) Uh And uh, it's really unusual these days to have such a large family. So my congratulations and my my empathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, my husband and I, often joke that we failed miserably at Vatican roulette. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, you guys are in right in uh, St. Louis or outside of yes, St. Louis? We're just outside of St. Louis. Yes. Okay, awesome. And what a story you have to tell, and um, really amazing. And by the way, is this your first book? Yes, it, it is. is my first. Actually, I did write a book when the kids were young, but I never had it published. It was kind of just like a, a love letter to my children. Okay, great. Awesome job. And uh, congratulations on turning an absolute tragedy into um, somewhat of a triumph. And, you know, want to talk a little bit about the book, of course. And Murphy's Don't Quit. I love that. <laughs> and once again, I can relate. Uh, my my son was uh, along. This is quite a while ago. He was thinking of quitting college, and I and I said, uh, you know, I, he goes he goes, why can't I? He goes, because I'm I'm a musician. I want to make a living, you know, playing music. And I said, well, two things. First of all, you're no Connor. We don't quit. And second of all, you already are a musician. So what are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> so so uh, I, I love the pride factor that you guys have, and. Um, I wanted to start by asking you about the five keys to unlocking hope. 
And for people tuning into this, um, this story is about uh, Lauren, who is your number two, correct, Colleen? Who yes. suffered a traumatic brain injury by, um, by being struck by an automobile, tragically. But um, she never gave up and the family never gave up. So what a story of courage and bravery to meet all these, um, these obstacles head on. And uh, kind of turn, I mean, I watched the videos of her the first year and, you know, looking at the contrast from, from the fifth year to the first is, is unbelievable. I yeah, mean, just yeah. to see her, is, I mean, she's beautiful and she's well-spoken and it's like, you know, it looks like, like it never happened, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure there's, there's still challenges, but um, sure. she seems to have embraced life. So can you, can you start by telling us... Um, what are the five keys to start with to uh, sure. unlocking yeah. hope? Yeah. And this is what we do public speaking. And this is what we you know, share with our audiences and we can intertwine her story. But number one is show up. Um, number two is find your cheerleader. Three is kindness is free. Four is work hard. And five is never give up. And with all of those, you know, you can, you know, for all of us, you know, first thing you gotta do is just show up, you know, you just have to walk through the door with whatever it is that you want to do well. And and you can use, you know, common sense with, you know, the other four keys there. It's not rocket science, but it really, you know, the people showing up for us is what allowed me to do what I was doing with Lauren, you know, people picking up the slack with my other kids and, you know, the kind acts and, you know, all of that stuff is, you know, what really got us to where we are. Yeah. What is the age of, of the spread in ages amongst the children? Sure. So I had them all in 14 years. So once okay. I had a teenage daughter, I realized, uh-uh, <laughs> we're done. We're not having any more. So my oldest was 14 and six of them are girls. So I only have one boy. Okay. Um, and so at the time of the accident, my baby was 11 and my oldest was 26. So my wow. baby was almost 12. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, how was the situation when this happened and everybody rallied? Um, around Lauren, um, how did it play out with the different age, you know, the different ages of the kids, how this all played out? Was it, was it really difficult for you guys to um, try to be there as far as what advice do I give these kids, and they're all different age, all having different experiences simultaneously? Yeah. So, you know, I think the fact that I had six girls was really helpful for the girls, especially because they just, you know, they share, you know, they share their emotions and they, you know, they all grew closer. But I also had, you know, you can imagine with the big family, that means seven soccer teams, seven Girl Scout troops, seven, you know, our church family. So our network was huge. And, you know, the first couple of years, we couldn't go to our kids' soccer games and our kids, you know, big events. So, you know, but the people picked up the slack and cheered extra loud for those kids, but it was different. Cause we did have, you know, my oldest dropped everything and came home and took care of everybody while we were first in LA because the accident happened in Los Angeles. We're in St. Louis and Lauren oh. lived in New York. Okay. So she was living in New York at the time. So my oldest dropped everything and she's now packing lunches, helping with homework, driving carpools. And, you know, she's 26, just beginning her career and her life. And she's, you know, stuck back at home doing all these things. So, you know, my husband had to come home, you know, after, you know, about two weeks to take care of the rest of the kids because, you know, they also have a life to live and I don't want everything just to be around trauma. Right. You know, 
yeah. was important for us to make sure that they had the most normal life that they could, even though things were different. You know, I didn't want them to have to give up their sports teams or, you know, all their extracurricular activities. So that was like a big, um, big goal of my husband and ours early on is to make sure life continued as close to normal as possible for the rest of the kids. Yeah. Was Lauren at university? Is that why she was in um, LA when this happened? Was no, this, she was... already had a master's degree. At age 24, she already had a master's degree. Oh, wow. And she hopped on a plane with nothing but a dream and two suitcases and moved to Manhattan and, you know, was killing it. You know, she was there for about a year and a half right. before the accident happened. She was on a business trip in Los Angeles oh. when she was hit. So she was a Jane Doe for several hours. Oh my um, because God. Most people that run, you know, don't have identification on them. They do sell shoe tags that have name and emergency contact. So any runners out there listening, make sure you get a shoe tag. They sell them on Amazon and you just, you don't think that you'll find yourself in that situation. But, you know, for Lauren, she was in that situation and it was several hours before they could identify her. Yeah, I'm I'm getting lectured on that all the time because my <laughs> my fiance is a marathon runner and she's okay. she's got the engraved thing on her on her wrist, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. which is so it's on my list. Thank you for reminding yes. me. <laughs> yeah. So um, so this was really something. So when you guys um, decided on caring for her professionally. Did you, did it, it obviously had to start in Los Angeles, which was a huge, you know, difficulty for you guys, just sure. proximity wise. Um, did you just start um, reaching out for professionals from there and say, we're going to have to turn this into home base because she was damaged so badly? It's so, yeah, so we were kind of, you know, shell shocked for the first, you know, week or two. And the, actually, it was the staff at Cedar Sinai, the, the neurodocs that said, I don't know what you're doing, but you have to move here. Yeah. This is not going to be a quick thing. Right. You have to move here, you know, and we were, you know, we were staying in hotels with donated points for friends and family. And, you know, this was not a long-term situation. So the, we knew the hotel couldn't be long-term. So Lauren's employer, who was fabulous, they arranged for us to get a little one bedroom apartment above a garage in Beverly Hills. So it was kind of like the Clampets take on Beverly Hills. We, uh, I think it was like $6,000 a month for this little garage apartment. And, wow. you know, they, they really hooked us up and, you know, helped us out. So I had to move there. I was there for probably a little over a month. We were in the hotels for a couple of weeks. We were in LA for, I, I believe it was like seven weeks. Once she was stable, they airlifted her by private medical jet to the Rehab Institute of Chicago. Wow. And then and then I went there. And again, somebody was gracious enough to, they actually gifted us an apartment for the three months that we were there, which was just, wow. which was amazing. Yeah. So, so yeah, life changed very quickly. So how did you handle with um, all the siblings getting into, to see her, um, you know, being that they were, you know, kind of far away. I mean, it's got a little closer to LA, I guess, but still yeah. it's a challenge to get, you know, that a big family like that to sure. you know, be there to support her. So how did that all work? Were people still coming in and helping or? Yeah. So unbelievable is that Taylor Swift actually came to the hospital to visit us and she gave us $25,000 to fly my family back wow. and forth, which wow. was just Unbelievable. Um, and so helpful because Lauren had four brain surgeries while we were there. And some of those were done on an emergent basis. Right. So to get my husband out there, you know, it was a thousand dollars each way to fly him back and forth because you don't have the you know option to shop around and to get your flights three weeks in advance. You yeah. Have right. 24 hours notice. 
So all of the kids had a chance to come. Two of my girls were in college at the time. One of the one of the girls was in Alabama. So she finished up her semester and then flew out. And um, my two youngest did not want to come. There's right. no playbook for when this happens. You know, yeah, right. my son, who was an eighth grader at the time, he said, I think I'm going to come visit when her hair grows back, yeah. you know, and it's like to him, that's, you know, the worst of it is that they shaved her head. Yeah. Um, but they just weren't ready to see her, which, you know, I know they loved their sister. I, you know, I did not put pressure on them for that. Um, and then once we got to Chicago, we were within four and a half, five hour driving distance. So they came to visit then. And then that was by the time we got to Chicago, it was summer. So the kids could come up as they had time on the weekends, which was kind of nice. Yeah. So, um, but it was just, you know, we joked too. the high school kids had no curfew for a long time. They loved it. <laughs> like, <laughs> there was the positive and the fact that mom is really busy because dad is clueless. Yeah. <laughs> they, could, they could roll in whatever time they wanted. And yeah. Dad was none the wiser. <laughs> they were getting over on you guys. Big yes, time. <laughs> they were. <laughs> yeah. So there's always a positive. It's something we learned early on. Look for the positive. That was their positive. Yeah. So how did you guys deal with the stress? Because I know um, when when this happens, because I experienced this firsthand myself, and it's it's like you, there's like like there's no manual of like what to do first, and you have um, a lot of opinions coming at you and a lot of um, information coming at you, and you're processing all this like at, at lightning speed and trying to make the right decisions. So how did you guys um, get through this? It, was it, was it, did you have somebody that you could really lean on or did you guys have to just study it page by page and come up with your own plan? It was kind of page by page. And my husband and I have always been solid. And, you know, early on we made the decision that, you know, we can't be at each other's throats. You know, this yeah. is a tough time. We have got to be on the same page with everything. And, you know, even like throughout our marriage, I've always been the one that makes most of the decisions. I mean, obviously, if you feel strongly about it, it's, it's different. Right. But, you know, I was kind of in the driver's seat with everything. Um, but it was still, it was really, really, really hard. And, you know, I talk about in the book, too, all the mistakes I made along the way. But I think with anything, especially like even with just parenting, you know, I have a daughter that just had a brand new baby um, less than two weeks ago. And Congratulations. I told her, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I told her, I'm like, you know what, there's so many things you can read on how you're supposed to do this and with feeding and all of this stuff. I said, but honestly, you know what, just do what feels right. Yeah, that's the key to parenting. Go with your gut, you know, within reason, obviously. Yeah. So it was the same thing with with this, you know, I had no manual on how to piece back, you know, somebody with severe brain damage, how to piece her back together. I just had to go with my gut and keep looking and keep searching. Yeah. And, you know, and have faith in her the power of God, the power of prayer, the power of the human spirit. I just had to believe that things were going to be okay. Yeah. You know, and I look back at some of our early carrying bridge posts and I, I like laugh at how naive I was. I'm like, Oh my God, this was bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, she should not have survived this, but lucky for me, I just went into survival mode and never, it never crossed my mind that we wouldn't come out. Okay. Yeah. Was it a hit and run or was it somebody who? No, oh, no, it yeah. was. Um, and the, and the gentleman that hit her, he came to the hospital and was, I mean, he was a mess, but it was her fault. It was the light was flashing. Like, you know, when it, you can still walk, but you have a flu, few seconds. Right. Right. And she was trying to get around a car that was in the turning lane. So she wasn't looking over her right shoulder. The light turned green and he couldn't see her because she was behind that car that was pushed up too far. So it was, so he had no time to, to break or anything. So, I mean, it was, 
you know, when we saw him, you know, he had the same shell shocked look that, that we had, yeah. and, you know, it was, it was tough. I mean, I can't imagine being in his shoes, you know, yeah. it was, you know, it was a total, I mean, it's an accident. That's why they call it an accident. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It was tough. When you um, first were trying to uh, reach her because she was, was she, was she in a coma for a while or yeah. Oh, she, yeah. she was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it was, it was probably four or five months before I even knew she knew who we were. I mean, she was in okay. bad shape. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Yeah. And once she came out of the coma, it was almost worse. She was just blank. So, right. so yeah, but she was in a coma for about two weeks. Okay. So, so when you first started to um, be able to connect to her, can you uh, recall that moment when there was finally a breakthrough where she started to be able to, you could almost see in her eyes or something. Was there something, there's some point that you said, I think we're starting to, to see a little bit of light here. So it was not like the movies, you know, when you see somebody wakes up and they're, you know, asking for a cheeseburger right, and right. they recognize a long lost love. Yeah. But the first person she recognized, which we still laugh about, um, one of my daughters, my college daughter, Shannon, was visiting. <clears throat> so we had the TV on and she was watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And Lauren, like, kind of leaned forward and, like, stuck her finger out, like, I recognize somebody. And it was Chris Jenner. And I laughed and I'm like, you know, Really, this is the first person she recognizes. <laughs> I've been standing here at her bedside 24 7. So, yeah. you know, that was the, you know, and she was nonverbal and really didn't have a lot of expression, but that was, you know, the only recognition that we saw. <clears throat> but later, it wasn't until we arrived home and she recognized one of our old neighbors and she put her arms out to hug her. And that's when we knew that she knew everyone because right. there was never that awakening, you yeah, know, because right. we were always there. So we never had that like special moment to where she knew who we were. It took so long for her brain to wake up yeah. that I would love to say we had that that moment, but but it's just not the way it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a, a lot of these injuries go that way because that's the same experience I had. It's just, just a long, long process of, um, you know, little tiny victories, you know, oh, like yeah. along oh, yeah. the way. So when did the... Um, book idea come into the uh to the lexicon of your thinking colleen is was that you know like a year later was it was it earlier was it like when did this first occur to you so i always like even early on sitting in the icu room i knew i wanted to write um her story and i've writing has always kind of been my therapy i am not yeah. a private person you know i you know, my husband always says he could never run for office because I would be blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's always kind of been my therapy. But my twist on it, my writing style is, you know, and it's a gift I got from my late father is I find humor in everything. And, right. you know, even when we were in the thick of things with the kids, I had a blog that I started back in 2008. And at the end of the day, especially when I had a really stressful day, I would sit at the computer and say, OK, what was funny about today? Yeah. You know. Was it funny that my son showed up to school without a shirt on and I got a call from the office that he forgot to wear a shirt? Like, who does that? He had on a hoodie and he goes to Catholic school. Once he took the hoodie off, he's like, uh oh, I forgot my shirt. So, I mean, you know, but those are funny. So it's like, you know, the stressful things, I would, I would find the funny in all of it. Yeah. So, and I had in my head that I was going to write her story and it would kind of be like the notebook. I'd read it back to her and then she's going to come back to me in this glorious moment. But that wasn't happening. And as I started to write, I realized, my writing was kind of dark and that's not my style. Right. And I, I just couldn't be funny yet. So I knew, you know, I didn't start writing until six years after her accident, Okay. but enough time had passed that I could take a step back and find the funny. And there was yeah. plenty of funny spots 
stuff. Right. It just didn't feel that way at the time. Or even if I did feel funny, I felt guilty for laughing for yeah. things because she was still struggling. So once I made the decision to finally write the book, it only took me 67 days from start to finish. And wow. I was ready. And and it is, and it's great because the feedback that I've got, because sometimes when I read it back, I'm like, are people going to get this? You know, yeah. are they going to think I'm just me? Or are they going to get that I'm making fun of my husband in, in good fun? Yeah. But the feedback's been great. And, you know, I love it that people are feeling every emotion throughout the book. Um, so so I, I, I was able to finally find the funny, I guess, as, as the, um, I knew it was time. Do you feel that um, the grief, you're probably having some grief for that little girl that, you know, you, you raised and yeah. she wasn't the same person, you know, quite yet. I mean, she was still the same person, but you know what I'm saying? You must have felt sure. some kind of grief that was overshadowing your creative abilities to say, you know, just not time yet, I guess, you know, but yeah. And they, they call it ambiguous grief. And I've, you know, I had to Google it and that's when you grieve someone that's standing right in front of you. And in some ways it's, it's worse, but you know, what keeps me going is I have friends that have lost children and I wouldn't want to be in their shoes and I yeah. get it. And, but it is hard and it's, it's constantly a struggle of being very thankful for what I have. Yeah. And, grieve, and grieving what I lost in the life that she could have had, especially as all of her friends are getting married and having children. And it's, you know, with each new baby or each new wedding, it's almost like a loss yeah. for me. Um, but, you know, that's just, you know, that's that's life. It's messy. Yeah. Something about the Irish need to use humor for everything. I mean, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one of six boys oh, and, and one girl in the family. And, ah, so and we were, we're, yeah, we're, we're like a year and a half apart right down the line. And we were like always killing each other. Like there was always a trip to the hospital every Sunday. My father, there'd be blood and screaming and oh, yelling. That's awesome. <laughs> And we just dealt with everything with humor. I mean, it's just like anytime there was something dark, it's like you just, you made fun of it. And you, yeah. you, you could, you wanted to see who would laugh the loudest about which, which scenario, yeah. you know? Yes. And, yeah, and, it, is. and it works. It true. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think it's almost like a way of other people that aren't Irish that don't get it, but just being positive, you know, you yeah. just you're funny. I mean, that's the positive side of it. Sometimes it's really inappropriate and gets you in trouble when you're laughing, when you're at a funeral and you're not supposed to be laughing, but yeah. it really is. It's finding the positive and it's, it's joyful. And, you know, I was just, I was really glad that I could find that joy in our sadness. Yeah. So when you turned the corner on that and you said, okay, now, now I'm back in the groove and I'm, I'm, I'm a little more lighthearted and, and taking action on did it on this book? Did it start to like like really flow? You said sixty seven days. Did it just like accelerate and like all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm I'm almost finished with the book. Yeah, I mean, it really Which, did consume me. i but I did. I was thankful I had those early writings that were kind of dark because I took yeah. pieces of that. So I was glad I had that. I'm, I have a pretty good memory, but that really actually helped. But yeah, I was really um, I kind of shut the whole world out while yeah. I was writing. And, right. you know, I did it morning, noon and night because I just, I would think of something and I'm like, okay, I got to get that. I got to remember that. And I got to remember that story. And, you know, it, it really was something that consumed me. Do you as a writer and, you know, just getting into little habits, cause I love this uh, topic. Do you push the pen at all? Or I, I know a lot of us, um, when you're getting something down quickly, you need to be on a keyboard cause you can go a lot of, a fa lot faster, but do you, um, ever 
sit with a legal pad or and, and do uh, pen and paper, or is it all you know on typing a keyboard? I do most of it on the computer, mainly because my handwriting is terrible. Yeah, and I would have a hard time uh, writing. And I sometimes my brain works so fast that I I would it, it's tough. But every once in a while, I write in a journal, and it's it's interesting when I look at my journal passages. It's such a different writing style, and I yeah. think it's because. I know that I'm not writing for somebody else. So I'm not really trying to be funny, which again, so it's almost like I'm not true to my writing style because you don't really try to be funny for yourself. Right. Um, so my journal entries are just a little, and they're not dark. I mean, they're just like today I did this, you know, but yeah. it's just a totally different style. Um, and I, I do usually use a computer cause it's easier, especially with spell check. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, um, I started journaling years and years ago and I, I do it every Sunday, just 200 words, just enough to say, you know, what am I, what did I do? What am I doing? What am I thinking about? What am I, and you know, it occurred to me one day to say, you know, this is a book in itself. If, if I decide to write something because it, it kind of catalogs everything, but yeah. Um, I kind of like um, using legal pad and writing just whether it's songwriting or stories or whatever. But I find that if you're using if you're using a keyboard, you can just fly, you know, like because yeah. you're in a hurry to get those ideas down quickly, yes. you know. That's but, for sure. uh, but, uh, but I love the old school, you know. Yeah. Um, so any aspirations to write another book? I'm sure you've been thinking about it. <laughs> so actually, yes. Um, you know, this one, you know, it's just released October 5th. And so far, you know, the, you know, the momentum is great. And this year, you know, was it just this year? And, yeah. yeah. Congratulations. I thought it yeah. was uh, the previous year. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Wow. Great. Yeah. So, so the feedback's been great. And, you know, and I love it when I check my inbox and I have all these people that have messaged me like how it made them feel. And it, it's great. So I would love to, I would love to write actually the prequel. Um, my husband and I were both single teenage parents when we met. Wow. We each had, he had full custody of his daughter and I had Lauren. And, you know, we met, fell in love, the rest is history. Um, and, you know, it is um, such a testament to life's not over when you get pregnant at 17. You yeah. Know, it, it is, um, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, if ever a child was meant to be in this world, it's my Lauren. And right. I would love to write that story and you know and with that i mean you can imagine you grew up with a house full of seven there's some craziness that's you know intertwined throughout um so i would love to do that um i also feel like lauren's story is not over and as our speaking career just keeps growing and growing and growing um we'll have a lot more material to write about that is a really good segue because i wanted to ask you about how did the speaking um get into um your repertoire is is that something she was doing at university that is something was a part of her um her past when she was um when she was working for this company or did this kind of just formulate after the accident it was afterwards now lauren has always been somebody who you know she'd walk in a room and she pretty much owned the room you know she would light up a room and it wasn't just because she was a pretty girl she was super confident she would she loved doing presentations um she worked for a marketing company and she was just bold and she would get out there but as far as doing public speaking she never did um and which you know it's funny because one of the brain surgeries that she had her first one the life-saving when they removed a large section of her left temporal lobe which is where the language center is housed yeah so the fact that she can say anything 
is amazing. I mean, she was never supposed to be able to speak or understand words. And one of her speech therapists in, she goes to a a college here and it's, they work with um, the graduate students and they asked all of their aphasia students, um, which is mostly stroke victims because it's caused, aphasia is caused by damage to the brain. But in Lauren's case, it's because it was removed. So it's mostly older people, but um, she asked all of them to come up with a goal. And it can't be something that you've ever done before. You got to try something new. Some of them did gardening. Some of them did whatever. And Lauren said she wanted to become a public speaker. I like kind of laughed like, okay, you don't have the language portion of your brain. And it's hard for you to string a sentence together. But okay, why don't we be a prima ballerina? That might be easier. Um, But, you know, my first thought was you're crazy. My second thought is how do I help her make this happen? And with her, she sets her mind to it. You know, she's going to, and I thought we'd do a couple of rotaries, a couple of Girl Scout troops within our third speech. We were asked to give a commencement address for over 3000 people. So, wow. you know, it's, it was full throttle, you know, yeah. and it's, she is so full of personality and she can still light up her room. Um, she doesn't have the verbal skills that she used to, but between the two of us um, it works. And, you know, obviously COVID slowed us down, but we're back on track and, you know, booking the big ones again, which is pretty right. amazing. So you always go together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. She, I don't think awesome. she could do it on her own yeah. um, with the language deficit. And she also kind of comes off topic a little bit. So I kind of have to veer her back in, but she also like, if I miss my mark, boy, she calls me out with, <laughs> with no qualms. <laughs> she does not have a problem calling me out on stage if I miss my mark. So, so it works, you know, and it, you know, we have that whole mother daughter banter. So, it, so it, tell it, me, it works. this is, this is fascinating because, um, my my son is a as as a singer songwriter in Austin, Texas, as as I am, and he came up for the weekend, and we went out and did like a couple of shows together. So um, one of the guys in the band came up and said, he goes, I just can't imagine, you know, playing with my dad like you guys like sing and play yeah. together, but yeah. it's it's a very special thing, and and you have that with your daughter, yeah. which is. I mean, are you feeling like a new career is is like happening for you? Because I, I think it's very exciting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, especially when we're, you know, the, the, you know, we've talked to MasterCard, we've done, we're doing Express Scripts, we've done Edward Jones, like the big corporate events, especially like when we speak to the schools, it's funny because sometimes the junior high kids will be asleep on their desk, you know? <laughs> like, hello, anybody there? Especially when we do the Zoom calls. But when yeah. we do these big corporate events, it is it's amazing to watch her. And then at the end, you know, we almost always get a standing ovation and it still chokes me up every time to see these people standing for her. And afterwards, you know, people usually, you know, wait in line to talk to us. And her line is like 10 times the length of my line, which is fine, (laughs) which is the way you want it. But, um, you know, and often I feel like, am I talking too much? Because she can't, and she has no memory of any of it either. She lost two years. So oh, it's hard for wow. her to do any of that, you know, speaking of that part anyway, because it's all based on things that we've told her. Right. But so I do probably about 65% of the speaking, but they sure hang on her every word, you yeah. know, which is, which is pretty cool. So take us through like the gig, like you guys, you fly somewhere, you drive somewhere, whatever, you check in a hotel. How is the whole, you know, the whole experience? Is it like really, really fun? Is it exhausting? Like, like, how is it? How is it for you guys? 
Sure. So when we travel, it's a little more exhausting because she has brain fatigue. And okay. you know what we try to do is get there the day before, but right. we can't get there too early because too much time in the hotel will make her crazy. So it's kind yeah. of like a holy perfect. We got to have the perfect scenario. But she is so excited when she has a speech coming up and she has like a little stack of note cards and she's constantly practicing and she knows it all. She doesn't need to practice, but she's right. just the ever professional. She thinks she needs a new outfit with each, with each new <laughs> speaking gig, which she usually gets, um, yeah. but she's walking on air and she's just a different person. Her confidence is back, you know, and that's what, other than the ability to speak fluently, it was her confidence that she lost and, and it, confidence is a gift. It really, really is. And it's, it's hard to reteach. Right. Confidence. But, you know, both of us, you know, public speaking was not in, you know, on my bucket list by any means. Yeah. But, you know, as parents, we do whatever we can to help our kids. And, you know, with enough work, there's not a doubt in my mind that she won't be able to do this on her own someday. But it really does. You know, you can imagine with, you know, she's 34 years old now. She lives at home with her parents. So there's a lot of frustrations there, Right. especially with COVID. She's very social. She's stuck at home and she doesn't have that verbal piece. Like we can't have a, you know, conversation with somebody on the phone. So we're like oil and water sometimes ready to kill each other. But yeah. when we have these speaking gigs, it is, it's purpose for both of us really. Yeah. Um, but it really makes her feel like she's contributing in the world again, you know, because she was on the fast track in Manhattan before, and, you know, she knows her life is different and it's tough, Yeah. There must be was, uh, like memories of that, you know, tucked away. Like it's almost oh, like yeah. um, muscle memory, you know, because it's oh, like, yeah. this is the place where, where I belong. It's where I feel good and connected yeah. and, and I'm, I'm making a difference. Um, is she getting any uh, coaching or ongoing therapy, Colleen, um, mm-hmm. outside of medical? Like, yeah, she just does speech therapy um, three times a week. Um, mm-hmm. She'll probably always need some sort of speech therapy. And honestly, when we do these speeches, that's the best speech therapy for her, especially yeah. when she is talking to other people. And I make the mistake a lot of times is jumping in and trying to talk for her because she struggles. And I just don't want people to think less of her, which is silly. You know, it's but it's just human nature. You protect your kids. And, you know, one of the professors that she works with told me something early on that was like, the best advice she could give me when I was, you know, when we were working on the commencement address. And she said, if it's perfect, it's not inspirational. And I'm like, you know right. what? You're right. You know, it is the imperfection that makes this such a, a wonderful story. I mean, here's a girl that was never supposed to be able to speak or understand words and she's speaking in front of 3000 people. So I have to always remember that, that, you know, I can't expect her to not have deficits, you know, it's, yeah. It's hard for me to, you know, sometimes I still have to take a step back when I'm annoyed with her, especially to be like, you know what, I would have begged for this a year ago. You know, it's, you know, it's used to be, I just wanted her to talk. Now she gets in trouble for what she says. <laughs> how, how do you manage to, to put this, like, what is your threshold of pain for how much you can do given your schedule, in both of your schedules? Um, are you trying to do one of these a month, two a month? Do you have like a, like a, a wish list of we should do this many events? How does that work for you guys? So, and it's, you know, again, we're just now, cause we, we launched in 2019 and then COVID hit. So the first year we thought, you yeah, know, we'll do a couple. We were, yeah. so we've spoken in front of over 11,000 people so far. Wow. Um, and we were doing two to three a week on some weeks. Um, so 
I would love it if we could do at least two a week, just because it gives her something to look forward to. And, um, you know, because there's only so much because of that whole language piece, she can't watch TV. She can't follow dialogue. Right. There's only so much shopping I can do with her. Um, So it just really gives her something and sense of purpose to get out of the house. But ideally, I would love to do two or three a week. And, you know, we're getting we're getting back to that, which is great. We're booked now. We have bookings through April of next year, which is really, really exciting. So it's it's coming. It's you know, it's and whenever we do one, we end up with three more referrals. Wow. So so are you tying this? are Are you making this a book tour slash speaking or, or is that separate? Is it, or are these tied together? I mean, they're kind of tied together. If we do um, any type of corporate event or anything with more adults, we do usually do book sales after. But because the book just came out, we've only, I think, had three or four that have had book sales with it. Um, but the five keys that I talk about in the book is pretty much the crux of our presentation. So it ties together anyway. Um, but yeah, so we are doing kind of both. It's not, you know, if someone wants us to speak, I don't, I let that be up to them if they want to do book sales. I don't, I don't want to push anything down anyone's throats. Um, because the main purpose is really just to inspire and get her out there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the book is good. I'm super proud of it. And most people want me to do book sales afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, it is of course on Amazon. Yes. And yes. and any other major places? Or you got, I guess you don't need many with Amazon. Yeah, Amazon's <laughs> the big one, but it's at Barnes and Noble. It's at Books a Million. Really, anywhere books are sold, um, you can get it. You can order it online. Great. I'm gonna. Of course, we'll put all your links in the show notes and Facebook and everything. Um, I wanted to ask you about how did you get? And by the way, I read your husband's letter. That was really awesome on oh, the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really great. Um, please check out the website, and it is um, Lauren Murph- Murphy. It's under. Uh, the, it's murphysdon'tquit.com. Mur- oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, how did we get the professional athletes and also Taylor Swift involved? Uh, which is so great because, um, I mean, it's just awesome. I saw the, the video of, I think it was your daughter on uh, a Zoom call or a, or a Facebook Live or whatever uh, with Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. <laughs> it was like, it's like, I, I know that voice. Is that really? And, you know, it just like yeah. clicked in. So how did that all come to fruition? How did we get all of these people involved uh, to help support you guys? So, so. Again, you know, because we're such a big family and we know so many people who know so many people that, you know, it just started, you know, the first, I think the first video we got was from Lance Bass from NSYNC. Okay. And my Shannon, when she was little, just loved Lance Bass. Somebody that knew his manager reached out. So we had Lance Bass, Joey Fatone sent out a shout out video. Um, Rick Springfield called me. Somebody knew I was a huge super fan. So everybody was like, Taylor Swift visited. I'm like, who cares? Rick Springfield called me. <laughs> it was like so much better than Taylor Swift. Sorry, Taylor. Um, but then Lauren was actually friends with one of Taylor's relatives, um, one of her cousins. And oh, okay. I think he reached out and asked um, if she would do like a shout out video after the other ones were rolling in. And she, I guess, looked up the story and decided to come visit and give us a big donation, which was really, really cool. Cause I think her first thought um, they said was that she was going to fly everybody out. Um, her, Cause I, I think once she found out she had so many siblings and then she was like, you know what? I would rather just give them money where they could fly out when they want to come out, which, yeah. which was great. So it yeah. worked good. 
That's amazing. So yeah, so it would just, and I get so many messages from people all the time. People are like, how do you get a hold of Taylor Swift? I'm like, I don't, I wish I had the answer to that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, you know, and again, Lauren's friends with her friend, but that's a line I would never cross and never ask. And I hear so many sad stories and I'm like, I would love to help you, but I, I just won't cross that line. And I appreciate that people did that for me, but it's yeah. not, it's not something that I feel and- I would, I would do. And you also had, Colleen, just a wonderful support system of friends, family, people in your your communities, your neighborhood, um, all like go to bat to, you know, help support oh, yeah. the family, help with your kids and everything. Um, how did that feel like when you started to see this? It, was that kind of like surprising to you guys that people like reacted so strongly? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was very humbling and that's really what kept us going, you know, yeah. because the kindness of others and some of the things that people did, I didn't find out about until months later. One of my favorites was there was a mom at school. My kids went to Catholic school and she had a son in my daughter's class and a son in my son's class. Not somebody in my inner circle, but if I ran into her at the grocery store, we would chat for a few minutes. Well, she called the school and put money on my kids' lunch cards through the rest of the school year. You know, so I had no idea whether or not my kids had lunch money. And honestly, I didn't care at that point. But this mom took enough interest to know what could I do for this family? So the things like that, that people did were just, they just blew me away as, you know, later when my mind cleared a little bit and I was finding out. And now I treat things differently when I hear of somebody else in need, you know, before I would be like, yeah, they don't really know me. I don't want to bug them. Yeah. Show up, bug them. You know, that's the things that keep you going. It's, it's the ones that are the closest to you that you expect to be there. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Um, so I always try to reach out whenever I hear of somebody that's in trouble. And, you know, life's messy. It doesn't have to be a catastrophic injury. You know, it could be a divorce or a breakup or a job loss, whatever. Just let people know you're thinking about it. And yeah. it, it makes a big difference. That is great wisdom. Um, any other further thoughts that you would like to share um, before we uh, wrap up? Just as far as uh, maybe some counsel for someone who has a tragedy um, all of a sudden befall them. Any kind of words of wisdom, or wisdom, or is there anything you'd like to say just in uh, in uh, saying goodbye to our sure. audience out there um, who is probably riveted by this experience and this uh, story? Sure. Number one, never give up. You know, it is just um, no matter what people tell you, never give up, you know, just have faith, you know, and I, I, I get it that, you know, our story, it doesn't always turn out that way, you know, but there's always hope. And, you know, it is, you know, you just don't know, you just put one foot in front of the other, you know, every day is better. You're going to have some really, really tough days, but hang in there you know, the next day will be better. Amen. Colleen, thank you so much for being a part of the Dharmic Evolution. Um, Really appreciated you stopping by to talk to us about the book. Such congratulations on that. Um, So happy about your daughter, Lauren, and the career that you're both having. And I just want to wish all God's blessings on you and your family moving forward. Well, thank you. Thank you. You too. Keep rocking. Play Jesse's girl for me. All right. Be blessed. Take care. Well, I couldn't reach Rick Springfield to get permission to play Jesse's Girl, but we'll have to settle for Ride On. 
If this doesn't inspire you, nothing ever will. Please check out all the show notes for all the links to Colleen. And that's a wrap for me today. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution, James Kevin O'Connor. So until the next time when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials or I'll see you from the stage. Ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery. If wishes were windows, I'd open one and find That freedom is really a simple state of mind So ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery Hey.